Hello, Craig. And hello, everyone. Welcome to the second technical um, episode in the Sharia way here in the room. Um, this is the second episode of the book club container that we have been holding and co-containing with other weavers and walkers of the Sharia way. Um, the text that we're focusing on in this container today is Hazrat Inyat Khan's The Mysticism of Sound and Music. And today we have already read chapters four and five, and we are just here to discuss them, see how these chapters landed, how we're sifting through them, to talk a little bit of crap about maybe like <laughs> publishing transmissions, but it's an open field. And I just want to kind of thank everyone to <laughs> for joining us. Um, I'm just laughing at <laughs> laughing at some commentary um, in the chat. Also, this container has been prepped by an hour-long exegesis and discussion <laughs> of of sound and harmonics. And I guess you can say that this text definitely has invited the spirit of of sound into maybe many of us's purview. I know it's been in my purview for sure. So yeah, thanks for tuning in guys. Um, I just kind of want to, I guess, to just kind of anchor us, um, starting with chapter four, which is titled The Mysticism of Sound. I am curious, this is a super short chapter. Um, how'd y'all feel about what was going on in this chapter and what kind of gnosis or kind of ideas do you feel like this chapter had sparked for you and i'll just hold a little space feel free to respond either by unmuting and vocalizing your interest or by typing in the chat Thanks for the invitation, Hoda. Um, I mean, I definitely want to get to like the critique because <laughs> I'm always looking to like bring these old transmissions into current time. But I feel like a lot of it was very aligned, and then some of it was resonant for me. I mean, especially like coming after uh, chapters two and three where he mostly talked about music and we learned that Hazrat Inihat Khan wasn't a big fan of jazz. Um, I felt like talking about fundament of sound sort of allowed for an understanding of how like music kind of rises to the top of perceptible sound as a sort of cream. And I think it kind of gave a useful backdrop for um, what he was talking about when it comes to music, um, just through like juxtaposition. And then I was really moved by what he said about 
the power of um, like thinking sounds like in our inner ears or, you know, speaking versus just like thinking. And I feel like that was germinal to many transmissions that happened during the week in the broom, um, which we probably don't have time to talk about, but I feel like they're still explicating. And um, I loved how much you talked about refinement and how refinement lends us the ability to hear other people's spirits. You know, like I think much of the contemporary discourse around uh, spiritual refinement is more about like activating psychic powers or, you know, like being able to figure out what that boy that you're heartbroken about is doing right now instead of being with you or whatever, right? And I feel like bringing it down to that base level of just like, okay, you can harmonize better when your head's not full of bullshit um, was really powerful in this chapter. But yeah, uh, I, I definitely want to join in the critique later, but I feel like um, I'm learning how to be a little more gentle and I'm leading with the things that I really treasure about this reading. Um, thanks for that, Nobu. That felt very sincere. And I also feel like I can relate, like, um, I guess it's the way that Hazra and Yakan just speaks to certain things, like at some point on page 26, which is the one, two, three, four, five, six, seventh paragraph, or no, sixth paragraph in chapter two. Or no, oh my God, wait, what? Chapter two, Hoda, chapter four. Um, when he just says so frankly, that which is alive gives out a sound that is alive. That which is dead gives none. The soul that is dead gives no sound. That is why in the ordinary song, there are many notes, but not one note that lives. All are dead sounds. And so he goes on to talk about the differences or like how the composer still lives, but the, the musical echo or whatever kind of carries on. And I feel like for me, when it comes to like spiritual refinement, um, what you said is specifically about a lot of wisdom schools or I would even say mystery schools being pivoted towards activation um I feel like for me in this chapter there was this glaring sort of message for me personally about how yeah what you said like refinement um can be more integrative and maybe ref maybe it's the way that the word refinement sounds like something that's super crimp and like polished um that kind of gives it that impression but I do feel like some of my own notions about the way refinement can look um, in, in conjunction with the mysticism of sound, not just the book, but like actual the, the mystical practices of sound. Um, I don't know, for me, it felt like I was understanding from reading this chapter how to preserve the mysticism without losing the core of, of the transmission or like, um, yeah, the word, like capital W word, so to speak. Um, so yeah, I really appreciate that. Yeah, I really appreciate you also bringing in um, 
yeah like what's happening in a lot of like mystery schools or like new age teachings something about i think it was maybe not just the words you use but what you were transmitting at that time just like brought to mind how you don't need to activate something which is already happening right mm. and i feel like a lot of the time when people are being given activations they're not been given that activation right? so it's like maria hasna is doing like an akashic activation and then she's giving me like her keys to the akash maybe probably maybe like the keys to her second or third akash but um they're not my keys to the akash <laughs> and i'm not tuning into my sound i'm just right. like being asked to drive somebody else's second or third car very carefully and not get any scratches on it. Um, and I'll probably have to bring it back at the opportune moment. And, uh, you know, like, honestly, like to me, that's like one of the primary dynamics of enmeshment, right? Like when, instead of like connecting inward, we're extending cords across the matrices and then those, matrices can't really move freely anymore mm-hmm. until a rupture goes absolutely yeah and like it's interesting because i'm like what you just like shared with me um makes me think of how um well number one like of course energetic hygiene um and i mean that from the sense that my Akash has something to offer around energetic hygiene. And I really love what you said that um, <laughs> in the chat, we have current time initiate of the Inyati order. Mariam Hasna joins the chat. What's up, Shouty? Please take a seat just like everyone else. Um, but yeah, no, I think it is, it is so interesting because I think that what you're pointing to around refinement and how we can kind of help you hear your own internal sound also hear the internal sounds that are being reverberated back to you from your own akash um because also the example that's coming into mind specifically about cars is like if i go into someone else's car and like the seat is adjusted to their liking the volume and the sound settings and the heated seats are adjusted to they how they like it um in my akash that's how that's how like my metaphoric akash fits me and that's i think the when i think of integration i'm like i think that that's it's it's larger for me but to me often i see integration as an astral a physical and an etheric process that i think happens when you have an internal scope as opposed to like you said kind of just throwing out cords and hoping that you catch catch like a big fish i guess you could say um so to me, it speaks about how like harmonics, a lot of the times I think in new age communities is always overlaid in my, from my perspective on this like precipitated unity of the masses. But I'm like, how can you want that in the external world? Like, this is what I ask myself when I'm sitting down and like listening to lectures and like listening to podcasts. I'm like, how could you want it and project it outside of the world if you don't know what it feels like inside of you to even be able to determine that the external world is in harmony or is in a harmonic convergence, right? And it does, it also brings me to the text where 
Um, so we were in what chapter? That was six, seven. So in the seventh paragraph in chapter two, Hazrat and Yakan speaks to, or what? What does he say? Let's see. He said the Sufi trains the heart and feeling. There are assemblies among them where qawal is sung and played, the music of devotion and praise, the music that arouses feeling, the feeling of devotion, of sorrow, of repentance. To think of how foolish we are, how stupid we are, how many mistakes we make. And this is the crux for me. Every feeling is practiced. When the heart is made capable of feeling, it can feel the sorrow and the joy of others. Everything touches it, every little sign of mercy, every feeling of admiration and then he goes on to talk about happiness but to me i'm like it's it also like speaks to i think yeah like what i was emphasizing or what i feel is kind of like flowing through me right now which is like yeah how refinement is a many-fold process and i say that because it is complex but i also don't feel like it's complicated either so I'm really glad that we're talking about all these different things like driving your own car, metaphorically speaking. I also like that we're talking about harmonization, <laughs> which I think is what I feel like I'm taking away from this is that harmonization is an internal process to be able to identify when things outside of you are harmonic or disharmonious. Um, but yeah, I'm, I love it. I'm definitely down to critique. Hazrat Inyakan as well in the Inyati order, but we'll get to that a little bit later, I guess. Oh yeah, I'm holding space. Holding space. <laughs> in the chat, Anna says, I just keep thinking about how the etymology of excrement as it relates to harmonization and refinement. <laughs> yes, can you drop the etymology, please? For reference. Sweet. Got some resonance in the chat. I won't even say resonance. I feel like this is reflection. Thank y'all. Keeper of the All says, refinement for me is about balancing my rhymes to the rhythm of vibrations. I'll have to read the book. Music and sound is where I find stillness. Ashe, definitely. Yeah, thanks for posting the PDF, y'all. Thanks. I think you'd really enjoy it, Keeper of All. So the etymology of excrement from 1530. Waste discharged from the body, from Latin excrementum, from stem of excretus, past participle of excrenere, to sift out and discharge. To sift, separate, to sieve, thus discriminate and distinguish. I mean, yes. 
excrement is the body's way of discerning what is keeping it in harmony and releasing that excrement, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Apparently the word excrementum <laughs> sounds like a, a spell from Harry Potter. <laughs> I have no idea. What's the um, mystery school called in Harry Potter, Hogwarts? I didn't go to that one. I don't think I was invited. <laughs> Anyways. No, I appreciate the share of the um, etymology. And then quite literally at the end, it says feces. <laughs> I'm curious um, how the etymology of excrement as it relates to, oh yeah, 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 we definitely talked about that. I feel like when people talk about like nature's balance, I feel like also what they're alluding to is like the harmonization of the natural order of things often, you know? And I feel like that bridge of like timing is really important too. Mm -hmm. Also the need of or for birds and animals of prey. Absolutely. The be these beavers can't protect themselves from the otters. Yeah, yeah. And nature's harmonizing principle is outside of the scope of human morality. And I think that the responsibility of like how to harmonize that discrepancy has more to do with humans falling in line with that greater order of harmony. And so, yeah, it's like I could sit here and critique all day why people only like to see like the polished and pretty parts of nature. But then also my critique would leave me busy instead of like being able to like harmonize that discrepancy quite literally um i was reading an article about how goldfish got released into the wild and became an invasive species this morning interesting interesting yeah like na nature's fucking savage and the reason why I know that is because I'm a savage. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like I like I got it from my mama, aka the cosmos. <laughs> but no, it does. I think, um, yeah, it's speaking to a, a lot of different things. And I feel like the principle of like harmony is is also akin to like what people call like the law of rhythm as well and like sound and vibration and it gets really really flowery really really quickly and so i think i'm ready to critique some of this text now i played nice for as long as i could but i'm holding space for critiques and schisms and confusion and things that actually like didn't align between your gnosis and this text <laughs> um, can I read out something which I hated? 
Yes. Can I read out something I hated? Okay. Well, there's two things. Um, so I guess it's like, I don't know which number paragraph it is of chapter four, but he says, or somebody records him as having said, sorrow and mirth should be under control. The feeling of kindness must be kept as long as we wish, whatever obstacle we meet with. When this control is learned, then no sorrow can come near. And then I'll read the other part, which I want to critique is, Okay, yes, the soul is a finer essence, and if the veins and tubes are blocked by the fluids, by very much eating and drinking, by alcoholic substances, by very much sleep, by very much comfort and luxury, this sound cannot enter. Um, so I feel like the commonality between these passages is like dogma. Um, I think, you know, I agree with everything that you just said about nature and savagery and the rhythm of nature finding its own balance. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there are free riders in nature. And I feel like often they're the ones who control us, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that when we learn to, or when we are told that uh, we need to control our sorrow or control our mirth often it's at the behest of authorities especially if it means like we're sorrowful about what authorities have brought to bear upon us or if we're mirthful when we're making fun of authorities right um and yeah i also feel like i mean i fast every day so I, I feel like my body completely understands like the value of asceticism, but I think to imply that any alcoholic substance is going to block up your vessel or that like very much sleep may be an obstacle to spiritual refinement or very much comfort and luxury. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, maybe I'm being a little nitpicky here, but I feel like it's very easy people get stuck to this they become like complete aesthetics right uh to divorce themselves of like regular life and also to ignore um you know like i'll say very simply that like say red wine has a bunch of like polyphenols in it i think they're called polyphenols but basically like um antioxidants which are helpful for the body and promote autophagy which uh you know autophagy is basically um, a precursor to excrement and I think yeah I can draw a connection between autophagy and uh, birds of prey savaging otters who free ride on the back of beavers <laughs> wow I'm just kind of sitting with that transmission, um, mostly because it felt really, really aligned. Because I felt, I felt, I can remember myself having critiqued this, this aspect of the text as well. And I, I think the lens that um, was supplemented to like my, my mind was one that had to do with 
like simply not knowing what kind of karma one is working through or like what sort of autophagistic process the body is going through at any given moment. Um, and so like at its most basic level, like you wouldn't expect a newborn even, I wouldn't even say newborn human, but like let's say a newborn kitten, for example, to have the same subset of skills and fine motor capabilities and maybe even meowing capabilities as an adult cat. And so similar to like the physical processes and the natural order of things that we can see out of our eyes, I also feel like the soul and the spirit has a maturation and developmental process um, that relates to finding its harmony among its, um, among its um, environment. And so for me, I remember when we were first, so this brings me to another point. Um, that comes up right now regarding the text that I shared called the Pleiadian perspective on human evolution um, and how it spoke to when different consciousnesses were being seated on earth and in our galaxy, that there were different phases of um, dissension to people's and or to consciousness um, maturing on a different galactic plane or planetary plane. And so from one example that I can remember um, that comes from this text is that the author writes from her channelings that she connected to a being who oversaw the, um, the incarnation process of beings on Venus. And the beings on Venus were an amalgam of beings from another galaxy that were being initiated and descended into, um, into life and consciousness in venus and so um it spoke to how when one school or cohort of individuals or consciousness um was maturing and growing on venus that an older set of consciousness or souls were brought in as their children as their descendants to help them integrate their karma from the star system that they came from and so this is kind of vast, but I say this to speak to, um, I think, number one, the various of different, various different textures of consciousness that are on earth right now. Number two, I also think I also bring this up um, in relation to the autophagistic prop, uh, process in general and what a soul or spirit or being has to do to kind of harmonize, whether it's their karma whether it's their dharma, whether it's just their existence is not only going to look different, but um, to me is, yeah, it's also a very, very strong case for why dogma doesn't work. <laughs> Other than the fact that it's like, uh, for some reason, my guides want me to say that it's like dogma is a little bit of like psychological hedonism. And also like the idea of everyone being pivoted towards an aesthetic path is actually like not authentic because it's not authentic to the earth. It's not authentic to people's development. It's not authentic to their whole character arc. Um, and it's also just tired as fuck, <laughs> in my opinion. So it's like, yeah, like I, I love what you're saying that I'm like the dogma of what he's presenting of like, if you sleep too much, if you eat too much. And I'm like, I get it. I totally like, there's a part of my personality that's like, yup, yup, yup. 
you can, you know, like be on your shit, you know, be on your bag, but it's also like, it's, I'm not going to like, I'm not going to center that as what of other people's experiences I, I, or how I determine what other people's experiences are supposed to look like. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tricky, tricky space, but I, I do disagree with Hazi in this case because I'm like, you just don't know, bro. You just don't know. <laughs> and it's okay to say that you don't know. I think there's vaster ways to get to the point that he's trying to make. But I think the framework that he's nestled this text in is like, is very, is, I, I don't think it does justice to the concepts that he's gesturing at. But alas, we're still here and we're still playing with the text. So. Thank you. Thank y'all for disagreeing and critiquing. Anything else that came up? Um, yeah, I guess like, uh, thank you for bringing that vast, this, uh, the vast lore of the Pleiadians to Earth a little bit. I guess um, something that kind of came up is a parallel between what you're saying about seeding Earth with the consciousness of different star systems related mm -hmm. to some of the stuff that was going on in the chat about um, you know, like allowing, not only allowing nature to refine its own balance through embracing uh, the savagery of nature and like the depletive dynamics of nature, but also some of like the stewarding aspects, right? Because I feel like there are parallels between what you were saying about seeding Earth with consciousness from different star systems to say like you know efforts that i've heard about in the united states to reintroduce wolves instead of just killing deer right like there's a huge problem with mm. a bunch of deer especially in the northeast where they're just like eating up all of the understory which takes away the protection that the trees need from parasites and blight and then in other places they're introducing wolves so that the wolves can eat the deer and then presumably like they can kind of do a pollination type of thing but also like poop everywhere and then not only can the understory grow back to protect the trees, but also they can help fertilize the understory. Um, and, uh, you know, also like gives us the opportunity to control, say, or to harmonize deer populations without, um, you could say, like stroking our instincts for violence. Mm -hmm. Yes. Thank you for saying. I appreciate how you said that too. And a truck with the word "accurate" passed by as you were speaking. So thank you. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I mean, that's that's. I love that. I love not only that as an idea or a concept, but I do think that that's a more productive way to like, um, like you said, like control our population or like control an environment um <laughs> thank you log accurate logistics please. um but yeah like instead of kind of like nurse nurturing our urge for violence it's like we can nurture our our like intelligence by like i don't know it also feels like that's like modeling how nature does its own refinement or participate and how earth participates in her own refinement specifically when you spoke to how the wolves being back in this particular populace would not only contribute to the deer, but the undersoil from their pooping. 
And I'm like, wouldn't that also like send a message to the metaphysical body of earth and like this, this, the way that deers are connected to like, um, the earth star chakra, like they would probably know not to like make as many babies or like maybe something would happen. <laughs> you know, I'm just, I'm just kind of like playing with the idea, but I'm like, I feel like what you just put down shows like reveals to me like a very crystalline or I'd say kind of well-woven um, environmental uh, impact that we can have as humans, which I think speaks to what you were saying around stewarding. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. <laughs> Enjoy dinner. Yes, if deer flesh. If deer flesh became poop, also it would come back to the trees rather than being flushed into the waterways that we rely upon for water. So then it would also kind of pour back into the human environment in nature. Trying to tra trying to translate that example of wolves and deer into to my own body. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, thanks for mentioning. See you later, Nobu. Braining sweetgrass mathematics. Ashe. That would actually be an amazing text. Um, I'm going to keep that as like a mental note because I would love to read that. Um, but yes. Okay. So I'm going to hang around for like five more minutes because I want to read. Um, I want to kind of go to chapter five and just kind of leave some seeds around um what chapter five brought up for me chapter five is called the mystery of sound and i instantly thought of cymatics so i'm also going to like read a little part and then also leave some room for some celebration or disagreement with this text and then i think we'll wrap up this episode how does that sound y'all So chapter five, any parts that I'm going to hold space first because I already have my little area highlighted. Y'all probably do too, but I want to hold some space. Does anyone have anything and or any features of chapter five that really stood out to you that really um, reflects like your own inner gnosis or maybe is something that you disagree with? Also, I really, I won't recommend it, but I'll just speak for myself and say that having the physical copy of this text has been really cool because I just get to doodle, which is really fun. Like in the pages. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak to the first paragraph then. Um, so the, there's an um, excerpt in the first paragraph of chapter five that made me think of cymatics um and i'll read it off um hazra inyak khan writes the deeper we penetrate into the mystery of sound the more we are able to trace the link that connects all sounds this link is what the musician calls harmony and it is in harmony that is hidden this hidden the secret of joy and peace um he goes on to write 
as one sound is directed by another sound, so every motion is caused by another motion. So I'll say for me, what really stood out in this portion of the text, it's not that I disagree or agree. I think what it really, what it really speaks to is um, the like evolutionary like nature nature of sound, um, and I think it connects to what I was picking up um, from and what we were kind of discussing about chapter four. But yeah, Anna says that this is the part I had double underlined to. Can you say more? Or like maybe why? Yeah, because I feel like for me, it's like, it's just a re-emphasis of what came up in the last chapter, too. I see some typing in my chat. I'll just unmute because it was taking me too long. <laughs> um, I wasn't, well, you asked me why I, I underlined it. I'm not, I don't know if I have a clear answer yet, but it felt, the part that felt juicy to me was um, the deeper we penetrate into the mystery of sound, the more we are able to trace the link that connects all sounds. Um, yeah, when I read that, I was just like, I wanted to spend more time with it. So that's why I underlined it. Yeah, there's definitely something here for me. I think I think it um for me what I noticed was like a cause for pause had to do with the fact that it speaks to like this chain or this link of um how time has passed on earth, aka what we call history or her story. And I think that being introduced to the idea that sound also has the imprint of where it came from or like holds the memory of where Ooh, it came from. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. I just like got I got um I got reminded of I feel like I was reading and I think I posted an article like a couple months ago now about how at like the basically like at the beginning of the universe like I don't know if I'm really going to be able to explain it because <laughs> it was like very vast and like a little bit deep, <laughs> but it was basically that like there was sound that is still emanating from like the beginning of time. Yeah, I think I know what you're talking about. At, like, like, a level that was, like, imperceptible to, like, human ears, but that, like, was always present. Like, it was, like, emanating across all time from the beginning of time. 
hundred percent. I think I know exactly what you're talking about, like how radio waves. Yeah. Scientists that basically like it, like the same way that we find fossils and how like fossils have like the memory of the soil. You can like date it. The sound was kind of dated in that same kind of way. And it harkened yes. back to Big Bang. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. That's a very powerful, powerful image, yo. And I feel like that's exactly what this part of the text is speaking to. Like sound, I'll go out on a limb and say it's like sound has primordial ancestors too. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> I love that. It's wow. Hoda, sound as ancestors. Mm. Oh my God. Wow. Wow. Yeah, and I'm not going to front. I didn't just come up with that right now. Though. I'm not going to front. It's, like, it's been with me since um, I listened to the transmission of December 8th's Why Am I Like This by Nobu. And like, wow. I, like he's dropping lore, like you know how he does. And it was, um, it was something I was sitting with yesterday. Like after I listened, I was like, yo, like what if these ripples and these vibrations that we can perceive, like we might not be able to see them, but we can perceive them like, have elders too you know wow <laughs> that idea is fun to me I, i'm gonna work with that concept personally same thanks for dropping that for sure um Shoot, there was another part in the text where I think, um, yeah, because I also think it, yes, that's what I was going to say. And I think that it also supports the worldview that like dogma ain't it, of course, but it also speaks to, um, I think in the next paragraph in chapter five, and this is the last part I'll bring in of the text, um, Hazrat Inya Khan is recorded saying, therefore, no activity can take place without a directing activity. And that activity that directs all is called God. This supports the argument of the fatalist that all is done by God. And it also proves the view of the metaphysician that there is no such thing as chance. At the same time, it explains that free will remains since each sound in its outward manifestation hides within itself its directing activity so that behind what man calls free will, there is hidden God's will. Hmm. I really don't know what to make of this right now, but my awareness was guided to the fact that I have a, um, I have a fire alarm that's been chirping in my house for like days and I just haven't, I don't know. I was just thinking about sound. I was like, why have I not, um, why have I not like replaced that? Uh, is that what it is? Like a battery thing? Yeah. You know, when the, you know, when a fire alarm, like the batteries die and it like makes that, sa that chirping sound. Mm -hmm. that's been like happening for like days now and I just like haven't I was like I mean it could be laziness but I was just in this moment thinking what if it was deeper than that 
what do you think it points to like on that deeper layer <laughs> i literally have no idea it was just a funny thought <laughs> really it's always deeper in my opinion <laughs> i mean yeah i well often i well you can probably i don't know if you can hear it every so often i feel, yeah i feel like yeah. i can hear it. probably gonna be really fucking annoying in the recording but um I don't know. Sometimes I was think I I've thought about how there's like uh in my life right now there's there are so few sounds like the the quiet can be like um it's just very quiet and so I was just wondering if like the presence of like a sound even if it wasn't like even if it's not pleasant to me or like even if i find it annoying was like mm -hmm. i don't know bringing some like variety or something yeah to my okay. sound palette you know like that's what i'm thinking is like especially <laughs> for the passage i can see how you got there yeah 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 totally you know? and yeah. i wasn't gonna say anything but then you read the part about uh there's no such thing as chance and so i was like ah fuck it it is not an accident yes <laughs> absolutely <laughs> yeah and i'm like i feel like that's when sound introduces itself to like the experience like even even when it comes to like the story of genesis or like you know like hazard and yakana saying like it doesn't matter how deep or how vast your relationship is to like the prevailing like sound maker or quote unquote DJ in this example. But oh it's like <laughs> I feel like um yeah it's pointing to exactly what you said like when sound enters the chat, it's also like it is. It's to draw our awareness. Like I don't know, I'm I'm sitting with this like how purposeful sound is and like how even like I don't know, I'm even thinking about like our bodies, like when we stretch and we make those sounds and like mm -hmm. How mm -hmm. all that contributes not only to an experience, but I'm like, it, I don't know. It's very vast. It's very, very vast. But I'm happy that we're going here. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, me too. Oh, Lexi writes um, in chapter five, knowledge as sound stands out to me, but I'm still sitting with it to see what it really means for slash to me lol <laughs> is the emoji <laughs> is the sound that the emoji <laughs> makes that she shared um and then she goes on to correct that or knowledge of sound yeah man it's it's interesting because i'm like I'm, I'm really glad too that we're kind of taking this approach with this text where we're not like kind of agreeing with everything the author says but we're also like not discounting that the fact that there is a time delay between when this text was written and how consciousness has evolved and how we as humans have evolved within that consciousness in current time um yeah and i, I do like that question like what stands out about it to you But it also makes me think of like, I mean, sonic transmissions, like even if even if you're on the spectrum of like light language or like, you know, being able to decipher, let's say, like silence, if you're if your inner ear is like tuned that well or 
Um, if you're having a conversation with someone and then there's like just like a timely transmission or a song that's like a timely transmission, I'm like, that's knowledge. Like, um, gurgles mm-hmm. a certain way, like that's knowledge. You're like, I'm hungry, you know, or like I'm full. And, and there's so many different sounds that generate from people and things that I think aligns with what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, I was reminded of in the welcome episode of the podcast when I was talking about being able to discern the quality of silence. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, like there's certain silence that's like super unnerving and then there's silence that's like super relaxing and then there's a whole bunch of other silences in the middle of mm-hmm. that. But mm-hmm. I'm like... Do you mean head head knowledge, Lexi? Regarding what feels dead or sticky? A sound is more formless. Yeah, like being, maybe it's not just book smart. Maybe it's like being hyper dedicated to, to prevailing thought forms and head knowledge. Yeah. Like just having awareness in the head to me is what that feels like. The somatic sense of what you're saying to me is how it's translating. Lexi, are you talking about the part where it says, um, oh, I'm just trying to find the part, the part of the text that you're referencing. Oh yeah, that's a good idea. The one before the last paragraph. Okay. In chapter five, right? Sweet. Oh, because it talks about symbolism too. Oh, man. Since all things are made by the power of sound, wait, hold on, am I in the right area? Yeah. Since all things are made by the power of sound of vibration, so everything is made by a portion thereof. And man can create his world by the same power. Among all the aspects of knowledge, the knowledge of sound is supreme. For all aspects of knowledge depend upon the knowledge of form except that of sound, which is beyond all form. By the knowledge of sound, man obtains the knowledge of creation, and the mastery of that knowledge helps man to rise to the formless. This knowledge acts as wings for a man. It helps him to rise from heaven to earth, and he can pen- and he can penetrate through the through the life seen un- and unseen. Yep, I was going to get it out. <laughs> yeah. It also sounds like he's saying that there's different the uh, different textures of knowledge too, kind of like what you were saying too, Lexi. Yeah, that's what I got from it. Like there was knowledge that like I I don't know, I was just thinking about how like some knowledge is 
deeper, for lack of a better word, than others, maybe. Definitely. Or, like, some knowledge can be known, like, with the whole being as opposed to maybe how we, like, traditionally think of knowledge as, like, being of the mind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I feel like that reminds me of, like, how how people talk about born-in traits, you know, like people just having, for example, um, a green thumb or people being perceived as being, like, really good in the kitchen. And it's like they never read a book, they never studied, but it's kind of like what you're saying, inborn, and their, like, framework of personhood but that it wasn't a knowledge that they went and up- obtained externally, that it was kind mm-hmm. of excavated internally. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Which is super cool to me. Mm-hmm. I'm like, at the most basic level, to me, knowledge is what you know. Or like what one knows. And then it's like the acquisition of knowledge is a no- is like how you can obtain more of what you know. And so this might be kind of spicy mm-hmm. for me. Um, it does come from like the idea of even cultivating. I'm like, you can only cultivate something that's already inside of you or like already alive. Knowledge can only be built upon if the spark of its inspiration is inside. So yeah, I'm actually kind of glad that we're going here because I think knowledge is deep and maybe only recently has it become a head like an upper chakra head and throat kind of or affair when maybe in other times it was an an entire embodiment yeah what you said just reminded me of this poem by alice walker that i really love um should i go find it yeah let's do it (laughs) Like that would be really nice to close the podcast on, actually. Mm-hmm. I feel like, yeah, I totally relate to to what you're saying, um, Lexi, I'm going to read what you said. I feel like it's something I'm really working on in my ancestry, like the acquiring of it being knowledge and also going from material to head knowledge, material slash head knowledge to bodily immaterial knowledge slash gnosis and attachment to it. So detaching from it. Interesting. I guess to that point, um, I'd say that I treat knowledge as a sport. Um, yeah, so like a lot of the times I, a lot of the times I feel very attached to cultivation and in a securely attached kind of way. Um, like, so cultivation to me at its most basic level is like what I do for me when no one's looking. And sometimes like acquiring knowledge can seem like an attachment. And I think it's just worth investigating. I would ask, I would ask myself, it just depends. Like, 
am I trying to learn something to keep up with something or am I learning it because I'm actually drawn to it and it's going to help me understand something better about myself. It's not that black and white, but that's kind of the geometry that um, comes to heart. Um, when you say that, yeah, yeah. Cause I'm like, then it's, it's interesting. Cause I'm like, I think it has to do with orientation too. Like how, one sees the world um and i don't say that in like a separative kind of way i think that um some of these uh artifacts of head knowledge to like soul knowledge let's say or embodied knowledge can happen i think pretty cleanly um as we kind of like how we were talking about like nature evolves like as we evolve as individuals i think that that pivot happens um, very naturally for some people and then I think there's a little bit more effort that has to be put in um, but I think it's possible I think it is possible I'm gonna read um, or Anna would you like to read the Alice Walker poem that you shared with us yeah sure even so by Alice Walker love if it is love never goes away it is embedded in us like seams of gold in the earth waiting for light, waiting to be struck. Thank you for that, Anna. And thank you to everyone who listened to this episode of the Shedi Awe Book Club. I invite you all to inquire towards me or anyone else in the broom on how you can join this way on how you can read this text and disagree and agree with us um here in the in the broom discord and thanks y'all for tuning in bye craig <laughs>